Welcome to another episode of That's Not What Happened, proudly brought to you by OneQuest.com. I'm Chris. I'm Vogel. And today we're going to be doing Planet Hulk. If you're not familiar with it, it's a 2005 to 2006 kind of event that happened in just the Hulk comics, and it was created into a movie in 2009. 10, 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. So one of my... It's one of my favorite stories of uh, the Hulk. 2010. 2010. Yeah. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite stories. Uh, I actually read, or I read this after watching the movie, which I'm kind of happy that I did, because that way I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely, it's definitely one of the better stories featuring the Hulk, because it's not the, really, I mean, when it comes to the Hulk, it's, you know, Bruce Banner's all right. Bruce Banner gets punched. Bruce Banner hulks out. Bruce Banner wrecks the city. Some heroes show up and stop him. A villain shows up, and the Hulk takes out the villain, and then everyone apologizes to the Hulk. That's kind of how his shit goes normally. This got away from that, and he was a hero, whether he meant to be or not, for the first time, like, legit. He's, he's always more of the anti-hero in, in the books when he's on Earth. Here he's actually like fighting the good fight at a certain point. Um. So, as being part of you know the entire Hulk series, Marvel Universe, they still conform. I- I'm going to use the word long loosely. Uh, I mean, it is about 22, 23 issues if you do include some prelude chapters that we will talk about. It, it's a, it, it was a little over a year worth of Incredible Hulk books. It leads into. Um, the big Marvel crossover, World War Hulk. Like, this is the full-on setup for that. Like, every single event that Marvel does has some sort of setup that leads into it. They're usually not this long. The Hulk got an entire year of setup. Yeah, it's... And, like I said, since it's so long and the movie is not so long, uh, we decided to split this up into two parts and... Well, uh, today we'll be covering the prelude, which is, I I think, half of what we cover is the prelude. And then we get into just the first four issues of the actual comic series, so. Yeah, so without any further jabbering about what we're going to be doing, let's just get started. So, for those who've watched Planet Hulk, uh, you may be wondering... How did they get Hulk into space? Why would he have gone into a spaceship? What what possible explanation did they have for him waking up in stasis to see the Illuminati telling him that he's too powerful and too unpredictable to remain on Earth? Uh, you know, there's an interesting backstory to that. It's it's really only about half of a special and four issues long of the Incredible Hulk, but there's a few Fantastic Four issues that go into it as well. But they uh, they I guess they decided to leave that out for time constraints. Um, you know, last time we did the year one four issues in a little over an hour. That's that's benchmark. I think I think that's a very comfortable pace. What do you think? Yeah, it sounds good to me yeah so i mean that was a very comfortable pace this i added 23 issues are in the full story of planet hulk not even the full story as much as the meat of the story of planet hulk 23 issues and that's including two specials which are three stories long each so i mean you do the math that's 27 issues technically going to planet hulk and they turn it into an hour and a half movie so what he's trying to get at is we're going we're gonna to split the, the content into two different halves. First half, we're going to look at the, the opening to it and how they got Hulk onto a spaceship to send him to another planet without him knowing about it, which that's kind of covered through earlier issues of Incredible Hulk, 88 through 91. And then prior to that, there's Fantastic Four, 533 through 535, and an Illuminati special that just shed a little more light on kind of what led the Illuminati and Reed Richards and all those guys to decide that Hulk was too big of a problem to be left on Earth. One of the the weirdest things about it, though, is the movie, you don't see this as much, but they weren't trying to exile him forever. It was more to get him out of the way while they could find a way to actually help him. 
I disagree. There is the sense that, yes, maybe they, they were planning on bringing him back eventually because they were sending him to... they You know, they did the research. They tried to send him to a planet that was specific. You know, intelligent life, just game and vegetation for him to hunt and live in They peace. knew exactly where they were they sending him. They knew exactly him. where they were sending him, yes. But... I, I really don't think it was their intention to bring him back ever. I, I think they were just going to, you know, let bygones be bygones and everyone just goes their separate ways. Well, you all, you never, you haven't read World War Hulk yet? No. Um, they pretty much tell you in that the intention wasn't ever for him to just be exiled here forever. It could have ended up being that if they were never able to help him, but every member of the Illuminati, maybe not totally 100% were behind it but they wanted to help him somehow um and if you notice in the in the book and the movie um Xavier isn't part of the group that sends him away he was he was one of the founding Illuminati members Correct. in World War Hulk he's one of the guys that the Hulk confronts and the Hulk goes to him and goes if you were if you were there for this how would you have voted and Xavier tells him the truth that he would have gone along with it too until they could find a way to protect him. Right. Which, I mean, that kind of shows you, like, at least in the back of their mind, they want it to help him because they, they all like Bruce Banner. They consider him a colleague and all. Mm -hmm. The Hulk just, he has those times where he's a menace or he, sometimes he's a hero. But more times than not, even when he's a hero, something goes wrong and he ends up just wrecking shit. Not too dissimilar from Wolverine. Um, there, there's actually a, a story arc where Xavier is helping Logan go through his inner psyche, breaking down the barriers of of his mind that he's put up over the years to really dive into his past that he's been hiding from himself or through trauma, really, that he's forgotten it. Um, you know, Xavier helped you know, help Wolverine with that. He could have also helped the Hulk with that, but Hulk would have to be present for that to happen. Well, it's also, and you find this out in a lot of other Hulk stories. He's not exactly an easy guy to get in the mind of. No, like Xavier has problems with it. A lot of like those like really powerful psychic characters on a good day when the Hulk's in a good mood can't get into his head. During World War Hulk, ever I think every psychic alive at that point tries to like get into his head. They pull it off for like. 20 seconds at a time before he just wrecks them all that's yeah um so it's usually it's not as much of a as an option as it is for like a wolverine or something like that where he's semi-willing yeah he he's at least a little more normal right so i mean let's get a little bit into the prelude fantastic four like we said 533 to 535 yeah i know Cobb's only kind of skimmed through this i've read it it's really they they get the hulk because they know that Hydra set up some kind of secret bomb in a cave somewhere in the deserts of Nevada. You know, the Hulk stomping ground. And yeah, and they want him to go disarm it, destroy it, whatever he has to do. Gets into the cave, finds out that there's a bomb. It's a gamma bomb and that everyone's fucked because he tripped the wire when he came into the cave. This gamma bomb is so intense, it sends him into a deeper rampage than I think Hulk has gone to at, at date. In a long time. In a long time, at least. I mean, it um, sends him he reverts Hulk. to Grey Hulk. Uh, and then Reed Richards, Sue Storm. Sue Richards. I have the habit of calling her Sue Storm. Um, they're battling their own personal fight with uh, child services who want to take their children away because they think that it's an unsafe environment for children. That's, you know, that's technically a separate story. And... Ben and Johnny go out to fight the Hulk. And, you know, long story short, every time the Hulk stops fighting to take a rest or to calm himself, he's he's living through every tragic moment from the time he turned into the Hulk till the present. Literally the time where the bomb goes off. And every time where he finally calms down at least a bit, someone hits him or does something to provoke him. And it just... It, you know, sends him into another spiraling rampage. So that's kind of the problem that they're dealt with. And eventually, you know, his mind catches up to the present. Ben calms him down enough to snap out of it. He does not revert to Banner, which I think is important to point out. Well, I actually just looked it up because I didn't know this. Um, apparently, the Grey Hulk isn't actually... Like, I th we were both on the same page. We, I think we both assumed that that meant he was, you know, a little more out of control and more savage. 
Greyhawk is actually the more tame and in control version of the Hulk. Um, I'm just I'm reading a page on Marvel's website about it. He actually, you know, he can he uses proper English when he talks. It actually says he's normally sarcastic, and he actually found a way to not revert to Banner because he doesn't. He's not Hulk where he's just kind of Hulk smash kill everything. He's right. He's semi-intelligent. He's not Banner intelligent, I don't think, but he's still he's normal person intelligent. But the thing is, when he's um when he's Gray Hulk as this, he he chooses a name Mixer Mister Fix It, and ends up working for a mobster in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, with so, Wolverine. Wolverine's part of that story arc. You see, I never, I don't yeah. really read Hulk comics that. Much. I, I don't either, but I'm Wolverine fan, so yeah. Um, I don't read Wolverine comics that much either. So. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the point, like I said, that he does not revert to Banner shows how in control that he is. That he, and there is a level of the Hulk that I know of that where he is the hyper-intelligence of Banner, but he still has the anger and aggression of the Hulk. That's which usually the... It's probably the most usually the dangerous. Master Hulk. Yeah. Um, he, I think that's... I forget what they call him. I think they call him, like, the Master or the Maestro or something like that is usually the... The, the Hulk, where he he has all the Banner's intelligence and all of the Hulk strength, um, that's usually the one that you see in like future timeline. Like beast where, on steroids, basically. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's usually the future timeline where it's like Hulk is like ruling over the Earth because he has every ounce of Banner's intelligence and wit and all of the Hulk's just ferocity. So Ben calms him down, and he leaves, and Ben is talking to Johnny. And Ben makes the comment that he joked to the Hulk that he, you know, if he didn't calm down, they might end up just shipping him off planet because they're not going to know what to do with him. Uh, foreshadowing, I guess, to the whole series. I think a little bit of the, the funny thing about it is this isn't like your traditional prelude to something. Like if, if you go and you look at any of Marvel's events, Civil War, Fear Itself, all that stupid crap, um, there's always like the prelude to it. Um, you know, you literally have prelude to Civil War with our, I think it was called March on Civil War or Road to Civil War. Road to Civil War. The um, Illuminati special. Uh, ulti- ultimatum was, um, I think, March on Ultimatum. Okay. Um, and it's literally, you know, it's it's a handful of issues, usually from various different books, that are leading up to that big crossover event. This isn't that. This was three issues of Fantastic Four that just happened to include the Hulk going on a rampage. And I'm sure all this stuff's planned out way yeah. in advance. It's not like it's not like Greg Pak decided like on spur of the moment, hey, I'm gonna send Hulk off planet. He probably decided this at the beginning of his run and that was part of his pitch for it. But it was still just This was a way to to talk about the Hulk in a way where you see the tragedy that he's dealt with, the the aggression that he's capable of, um, you know, his inner you know what makes him tick i mean on top of that too it was just a nice way to tie in it's a nice way to give a little bit of backstory to how this could have come about i mean really why else would reed have decided to do that yeah he would have to have some kind of personal tie into it you know they just had this this issue i i doubt ben went back and go yeah guys after we finished i told hulk a joke where we're like dude next time we're shipping you off planet like there, there's yeah. no way that's how Ben went back to, to yeah. read with it. He's like, yeah, we, we we trashed Vegas, but in the end, I calmed him down. Shield or whoever that was took him away, and yeah, he's off doing whatever the Hulk fucking does now. So this leads into the Illuminati, which again, it's not. This isn't tied to Planet Hulk at all. No. It just it it sheds a little light on on how things go. The few pages that is the Illuminati special. Um, it's only about 30 pages. Well, it, it's... It's not even because it actually has a preview of the uh, the Civil War to well, start off with. Thing. It's a tie-in to Civil War. It actually, it is. It's called The Road to Civil War. It, it, it's actually, it, it's the, I believe anyway, it's the introduction of the Illuminati. This is where the Illuminati started. They meet up. Um, they, yeah. they actually show through that issue the different times they met up over the course of Marvel history. So, you know, like... And you can tell by the artwork, like, they're, they draw it in a slightly, like, older manner to where, like, they all meet up in Wakanda for the first time, and that's where Black Panther says, no, screw you guys, I'm going home. But then he realizes he's already home, so he just kind of sits in the corner and cries or something. That's pretty much it. it the, the whole book is just a series of 
their meetings prior to major Marvel conflicts, ending with them meeting, I think, prior to Civil War, where Tony Stark comes to them with the registration. In my opinion, it's all a sham. The whole Illuminati, to be honest. Uh, in my opinion, the whole point of the, the first meeting was for Tony Stark to say, we're too slow at fixing problems, we all need to come together yeah that was the surface like we need to have the best people come together so that we can govern the other superheroes he already knew he's been i mean he's been working with shield he already knows that this stuff's gonna happen and it only takes one major event he knows that it's only gonna take one major event for this to get kicked into full gear which you know eventually in the line which it seems like it's years later because they talk about you know the house of m they talk about all kinds of different events that happen in the marvel universe yeah because i mean this uh, this avengers thing it's supposed to be spaced out i mean you can just tell by iron man's armor yeah you know their first meeting was back probably right after the avengers formed originally if not before it because i mean iron man's in one of his early armors yeah and it literally just says many years ago um but that that's the thing like at this point, they didn't really work with S.H.I.E.L.D. or for S.H.I.E.L.D. or any of that stuff. They were just a group of heroes that were trying to... They, they were pretty much trying to run the planet in a better way. Because, like, they were, for, for in their eyes, they were the brightest minds and most powerful leaders that the world had at that point. So they thought it would make sense that if they could kind of pull the strings in the background that maybe they could contain these huge catastrophes that tended to happen when these supervillains attacked and everything. It just, by the time you get to the end of it, that's where kind of the the whole thing in Massachusetts, I think, is the state where the Civil War was weird because it was, it was spurred together by young group of like teenage-ish superheroes that I think they were doing a reality TV show and they ended up Connecticut. attacking yeah, Connecticut. There you go. They ended up attacking some supervillains, and it ended up blowing up a whole town and a school. It's people decided that superheroes needed to be think, governed. Think if they were to take Teen Titans and Dog the Bounty Hunter and mix them together, and these kids would go out and they would bring down known supervillains. The only problem is. One of the uh, supervillains that they bring down, which his name is escaping me, has this little tendency to go nuclear. And it blows up an entire city, pretty much. Half the city. Um, Stanford, Connecticut, I think is what yeah, the city no, was. That's exactly where it is. And, um, and that's the catalyst. But in the Illuminati, the, the Illuminati special, because that's... You know, that's the first issue of Civil War. They have a preview in this special of the Illuminati. Well, it's not the first issue of Civil War. It's, it's one of the tie-ins to it. Right. Because you actually – the whole road to Civil War starts out with the – If you buy the, uh, the Civil War hardback, that's the first part of it. Oh, is it? Because I yeah. have – I've got the two trades. I've got the Civil War trade and the, the road to Civil War trade, which it, it covers those random issues that kind of just tell the story together. Um, but – we're not here to talk about Civil War anyway. Back so. to the Hulk. <laughs> um, you know, the Illuminati ties in where when the Hulk tears down Vegas, this is the event where they're finally like, all right, we need to just take the Hulk and then we need to ship him out. Um, the only person that the Hulk trusts enough to listen to is Nick Fury, but he's underground. Nobody knows where he is. Um, there's rumors, but no one really knows for sure. Uh, he, and pretty much a life model decoy is running shield at this point but i don't think anybody knows that nobody knows that except for tony stark and maybe nick the fury. people and, and nick fury and odds are shield doesn't even know cause and nick richard fury was that awesome yeah keeping shit secret yeah they don't know his secrets have secrets as in the avengers movie tony stark says but if, if the only nick fury you're familiar with is the movie version he's actually like an old white dude david hasselhoff no, fuck that. <laughs> he was originally played by David Hasselhoff. But I mean, nineteen like the nineteen sixties version of yeah. Fury that was introduced. He, he's badass. He's a white. He's a white dude. He was like a, an army marine ranger or something like that. And he just he's he's a super. Star. Yeah, he's just badass. He's not. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson is badass, and he was the re, he was actually the in, Samuel L. Jackson was the inspiration for the Ultimate Marvel Nick Fury, which is the Nick Fury that all the movies are based in on. hopes that he would play it in the movies.
No, no, not even that, because they hadn't. Marvel didn't have a studio when that Nick Fury was introduced. Yeah, but I, I'd actually read somewhere that they made it that way in hopes that if it made to the movie, that Nick Fury that he would play. Back to <laughs> the Hulk, which we keep pressing away from. Um, Nick Fury, life model decoy, running shield. So Banner's been living in Alaska since the Nevada incident. Never explained how long of a period of time this is, but basically he's living off the land in seclusion his only human contact is this guy (laughs) that uh he comes in by plane they do a little trade and he gets supplies the guy gets supplies and he leaves well the guy I, i need to stop calling him the guy but i can't find his name mark his name's mark so mark offers bruce going by the name robert like, hey, there's this party coming up, going to be a live band, um, you know, good time, everything, so you should come. Finally, after some convincing, he comes. There's a little altercation where some girl's about to get raped. The Hulk appears, beats the shit out of some guys. Then he goes back and decides that it was probably a bad idea for him to leave in the whole first place. And then Mark pulls out a cell phone, which is a hollow recorder, and here's Nick Fury. So, Banner didn't know the whole time that this Mark character, who's been dealing with him for years, is actually a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in disguise. I doubt it's been years since he moved to Alaska. Because usually, give or take, three years of like real-world time ends up being about a year worth of comics. So, you can kind of base that on... Yeah, they made a comment saying that it was uh, four years ago when the previous owner of the cabin had put there had died so that's the only point of reference so it's a, within the last four years banner has moved into this cabin i do wonder with with those issues though um it's a different writer than right. planet hulk it, daniel way is the writer for like that bit i wonder if that story was actually supposed to end like that or if he had a if if he would have went a different direction if his run was going to continue on it right because really, like, issue 91 is the last issue Daniel Way writes before Greg Pak takes over. Right. Issue 92, where he where Pak takes over, is the first issue of Planet Hulk. Right. Yeah, all that early stuff where he's in Alaska and he does all that would probably say the same, but would he have had him go off into space and all? Or right. Or did, did he have to just try, try and find, like, you know what I mean? Like, did he just have to squeeze that in there so that it would make sense to lead into the next person's run very possible because i mean really like it seems a little weird that all of a sudden the dude that you see for a few issues is a shield agent and nick fury's there to send the hulk into space like yeah it's the hulk and he can deal with being on space there's like a thousand other fucking heroes that are more that are just as intelligent as banner which means they're more intelligent than the hulk that could have survived in space somehow i'm sure reed richards could have put something together tony stark has armor right now that lets him fly through deep space. Well, they explain that the reason why they picked the Hulk to go against this satellite is because his regenerative ability and the fact that he can be in space fighting this thing. No, but I, I, I know that they had... Yeah, I mean, they, re- they come up with an... Ex- they had reasons for it, yeah, but... You're I, right. They could have... They probably could have figured out another way to get somebody else. goddamn Wolverine up there. He's going to regenerate just as well. Well, look at... I mean, look at the new 52... The Batman's the Bat family. Um, how tied were their hands that you know once they hit that point that they knew that Damien was going to die and that, or sorry spoiler alert if you haven't read that but um, but yeah I mean that the whole thing about Damien and the New Fifty Two their hands were completely tied knowing that when you get to this point a year and a half into the run you're going to have to change direction. I mean the only benefit. I mean, well, not, it's not a benefit. The only thing with that is everyone on the Batman, like, family of books should have known that was yeah. the outcome because Grant Morrison has wanted to kill him since he created him in 2006. His end goal was always that, and I'm sure when that run st- started again, when um, Batman Inc. picked back up for the They're 52, all reminded that this is the end, this is the outcome. Yeah, before he, before he even started doing the books, he's like, listen, I'm doing 15 issues. Issue nine ish, Damien's dead. Like like he's dying before the end of this, and the end of the series is gonna be kind of the, the repercussions of it. 
Because these writers, they don't go in and go like issue by issue. Like, oh yeah, they have to before they even get a book, they give a whole pitch on it and have like, I mean, you have some guys like Jonathan Hickman who he plots out three, four years worth of issues before he's even assigned to the book. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit different. Yeah, Daniel Way would have had plenty of notice that Greg Pak was taken over and he was going to be writing it, and I'm sure he he had to have known that it was going to lead into this Planet Hulk thing. I just wonder, like, if his run had had continued, if that was the the course where they wanted to go, or if this was a thing where Greg Pak came into one of the writer retreats. He's like, listen, I think it'd be cool if we sent Hulk away and had this whole just series of crap happen to him, completely away from all the other stuff. He's not going to fight the Thing or Thor or any of these Marvel heroes that he's always coming into conflict with. He's going to be battling this alien world. It's one of those what-if things. So Nick Fury tells him about this Hydra satellite that's orbiting Earth that is a super nuclear deterrent where if it detects any nuclear activity, it will pick one nuclear site at random and detonate, explaining the Chernobyl incident. So Banner eventually agrees to go up as the Hulk, and this is how we get Banner into space. He goes up, fights this thing, which starts attacking him. Obviously, he realized that. Surprise, it's a S.H.I.E.L.D. satellite. Hence why I codenamed this whole piece of our time the Lords of Lies. Because they just keep lying to him and lying to him and lying to him and send him to another planet. The funny thing about it, though, is the real title is Peace in Our Time. Which makes you wonder, are they referring to the fact that the Hulk is trying to be good and do things? Or are they referring to the fact that in another issue after the storyline ends, the Hulk's never supposed to get to Earth again. So that, you know, there's peace on Earth because the Hulk is gone. So this satellite, basically this satellite, they put it in the space. They explain, they said a Hydra did it, but they explain that they put it in the space with basically spare parts. And then the artificial intelligence would activate, build the satellite itself in space undetected. So it uses a... I want to say absorption. It's the wrong word, but that's basically what it does is it takes things and it just acquires them and learns from the technology and then uses it. So it recognizes that the Hulk has this immense power source and it wants it and it doesn't know what to do with it and it doesn't know how to use it, but it knows that it wants it. So it manifests itself as a humanoid android basically. And then the in the finale of that story arc, the Hulk fights off this android, obviously winning. And when he gets back into the shuttle to come home, the Hulk realizes that it's going the wrong direction. And a recording starts playing with the simple, Bruce, we're so sorry, but you've left us with little choice. And that leads into the start of the movie before we actually jump into the movie if you haven't read planet hulk or anything like that and you do actually want to go back and read like this prelude stuff again just to emphasize it's fantastic four issues 533 through 535 it doesn't really tie in directly per se like we said the only reason why it ties in is because the illuminati special has a page from it yeah, but not only that, it it, it kind of sets up the fact that the Hulk is kind of he can be a menace, and it, it shows why Reed of all people would have been on the the committee to yeah, let's send the Hulk away because he. I'm going things. to clone a god, but I'm going to ship the Hulk away. That does happen a little bit later. <laughs> and then you have the new Avengers Illuminati special, which if you read Civil War. You should have read that already because that was part of the road yeah. to Civil War. Um, and then the actual Hulk story that leads directly into it is the storyline Peace in Our Time. It's just the four yeah. issues prior, 88 through 91. 88 through 91 of Incredible Hulk from 2005-ish, 2005-2006. If you find issues from that time period, that's the numbering for it, so you should be good. So when the movie starts a little different from the book, the Hulk is on a ship in both of them and all. But in the movie, it actually makes it look like they somehow captured the Hulk and put him in restraints inside the spaceship and send them away. In the comic, I mean, you know from the previous issue that they just kind of jettisoned him away when he got into this ship. 
Um, and then this recording starts. In the movie, it's all high tech and the hologram and everything like that. Yeah. In the book, it's literally a screen where they recorded a movie probably and sent him the AVI file. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Live stream, dude. Live stream. This is 2005. They didn't have that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's Reed Richards doing the, the talking in the book, though. Instead of uh, Stark in the film. And, you know, Tony Stark has the mask off. Um, and you can clearly see that it's Black Bolt in the background with Doctor Strange. In the in the movie, it's Tony Stark doing the talking, and he sounds like a demon. Like, his voice is all deep and gravelly. And I honestly think that's an art direction to for the sympathy of the Hulk. I also – they might be going for the fact that it's supposed to be a distorted, like it's barely coming through because yeah. it's glitching. But I think it's funny. You can't really tell who the other guys are. Um, I you mean, can tell Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, Strange right? is pretty evident. Yeah. I mean, it's Doctor Strange – Reed Richards, as long as you know who Reed Richards is, you can tell because you can make out that, like, the temples are a different color than the the top of his hair. Yeah. But Black Bolt's in the background. If you don't know who Black Bolt is or, frankly, even if you know who Black Bolt is, if you didn't know that was supposed to be him back there, you can't tell because it's just a silhouette of a dude with a – like a cow on. Yeah. With no distinguishing marks. He doesn't have the – you can't see the – the tuning fork that's on his fork. Yeah, I'm not a big... Like, I don't know that much about Black Bolt, except for, like, just very simple, like, what his powers are. That's pretty much all I know about Black Bolt. And in the comic, you you pretty much... It looks like someone took Martian Manhunter and Silver Surfer, mashed them together, and just shoved them in the background. Like, that's... To me, like, you can't really tell who it is. I like to compare the first issue of this Planet Hulk with the, sh- with the movie to the show Walking Dead where everything is different except for the first issue. No, because, I mean, even even then, I mean... Um, the, okay, look. Here, look, ready? The, the movie and the books both start out on the spaceship. They start on the spaceship, and they end in the arena. The first thing you see in the movie after the spaceship is one of the shadow priests praying for the Sakaar sun. Right. In the book, the Hulk crashes, jumps out of the ship, and starts attacking things that are attacking him until he gets shot with one of the... um. He doesn't get shot with the the discs the way they do it in the in the book or I'm sorry in the movie where he gets one of the obedience discs. It looks like they pumped him full of tranquilizers first, and then eventually they hit him with enough of them that he goes down. No, they hit him with the disc. I don't think that's the disc. That looks like a trank. They hit him with a ton of tranquilizer darts. It looks like until he eventually goes down, and then when he finally goes down, they don't put the obedience disc on him until... I don't know, it looks like he only gets... Oh, I see. He doesn't have the obedience disc in Yeah, because he, the... he gets hit in the back of the neck. Alright, I got it. If you look at all the stuff from like that initial slavery round... Yeah, I see what you're talking about. The movie, he's on the ship for quite a few minutes. Yeah. Um, because there's this whole weird shadow priest thing going on in the movie where he's... He's praying. He's praying and he's doing this diagram thing with dirt on a map and it's one page in the comic book (laughs) yeah and i don't there there is no shadow priest in the comic it just goes right to hulk i believe that that's later if i remember correctly that does something similar to that happens later not in this book i mean like later in the series maybe i don't i don't remember to be honest with you but um and what i mean what i mean is like the general plot i'm not saying like the walking dead the pilot and the first issue of The Walking Dead are they're relatively the same thing. But I just mean the fact that, yes, the first issue of this and the first part of the movie are very close. Compared to the rest of the movie and the rest of the book, they're identical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this entire book is completely different than the movie. At the very least, one, once the Hulk does land, it's pretty much the same thing where first the um, the Hivelings or whatever they're actually called attack him and then... The red dudes show up, and they're the actual, like, rulers of Sakaar, so they're the ones that claim him as, like, a slave. The weird thing is, like, you never get that in in the movie, really. They don't come out and tell you that he's a slave. He's actually, in the book, he is sold as a slave. He is. He's captured and sold as a slave. And that's what the the people that buy him decide because he's so big and angry, and he does some damage. No, he's bought bought by the announcer. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, the people that buy him, buy him because they see that he is... A warrior. Yeah, he's a warrior, so they're like, he'll do great in the arena fighting. So we go to the arena fighting, which is, I mean, pretty similar. He fights the giant beast. They, I mean, before that, they do have the scene in the market where he's sold. Called the Cavaranthus Mazoris, more commonly known as the Great Devil Corker. He wins, beats the shit out of it, 
and then the Red King, the fight with Sarah, and I think this this is where you first see um a lot of the key players in the book too. I they mean, introduce a lot of people in the movie. You're introduced to pretty much his entire supporting cast in this right away. He gets captured and then he's in a cage with all these other people and he's just being a moody Hulk hating everything. Yep. This you, he gets thrown into the arena. He doesn't have that kind of like timeout where he's caged up with everyone. Right. And he's just thrown right into to a fight, and it's with, um... There's a bunch of the little hiveling dudes running around. You see Ciara, the old strong, what you find out that she is later on. Um, the, the Red King. And Meek is there, too, and he's the one kind of... He's trying to help the Hulk, for lack of a better term. He's basically telling him what's going on. Yeah. He is the reader's narration, essentially, so you know what's actually happening. It's a very, it's a very intelligent way to write in a narration without actually having a narration. And obviously the Hulk just wrecks everything, which that happens <laughs> all the time. The Red King decides to spare him because of the entertainment value. He claims that, that the people like him, just like in the movie. Um, but the difference here is instead of just going back to the cages and the, the cave prison in which the gladiators are kept, he goes into training. They have to decide, you know, and that's what the Red King is counting on. He won't survive the training because the training is against this giant lava monster that they call the Maul. Well, it's also, it's a little weird because they're all fighting each other in the movie. You have the main characters that we haven't even seen yet in the book. Right. That are already doing battle in the movie. Like, the first battle you have isn't until, I think, like the second or third issue of the comic. Well, they do a battle royale. Right in the second issue. Well, no. It, it, at the very beginning of the movie, the, the battle is the one where all of um Korg's brothers come out of the lava. Right. That is the first fight in the in the yeah. in the arena. Yeah, talk about there, fast forward. There's none of the the slavery, and you had said earlier, like there's the robot character gets killed off right away. Yep. Like I was saying, in the in the book, different than the movie. In the book, he goes to this mall for training. And there's this giant lava monster that seems like... It looks like a viscous material of lava with eyes and a mouth. Like, it doesn't even really look like anything specific. But he fights that and wins. And then they're put up as a battle royale against some people. Namely, I guess, Meek and Korg. And then, I guess, Hulk fodder. Like, just expendable people for him to fight. And then enter one of the characters completely left out of the movie, right? Yeah, um... The Brood? In the comic, it's really... It's issue two, really, where you you kind of learn who a lot of the characters are. So, I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know there, there's Hulk, obviously. Um, there's Meek, which is the weird little gray bug guy. Korg, Korg which is... He's the thing. And then there there's Eloe or Elo, something like that. She's... Eloe. Eloe, there you go. I believe. She's the red-skinned girl. And there's actually, the, in the comic, for like five seconds, there's also the robot. And he pretty much gets killed immediately in that first battle. Mm-hmm. In the book, they're introduced, and they're actually pitted against each other, rather than sent into the, sent into a match to fight a common enemy. Yeah, like I said, it's a battle royale. It's two teams against each other. And when they get cut down to eight or so, then the fighting stops, and those are the new gladiators. And... Of those, let's see, I, I count seven. Yeah, of the seven, one of them isn't even in the movie, being the Brood Queen. Um, they just left her out. I don't think it's actually... You don't know she's a queen at the beginning, because the first time you see them, it's actually like a whole swarm of Brood. Right. Are part of this battle. The Hulk and Korg and some of the other people that are in part of this battle royale that you never really get names for slaughter every Brood except for... The queen, who, right. or what you find out later on is the queen. And the thing with the brood is that they're nameless. They're literally just, yeah. that's what they're called. They're called brood from brood world. And at the end of this huge battle royale, there's seven people left. Five of the people from the movie, plus brood, the brood queen, and I believe the robot. The, no, the robot does not survive. In the book, he does. Because the robot's in it later on, too. Oh, no, no, no. I am, I am wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I know the robot is in World War Hulk, so I don't know where okay. he comes back into yeah. it. Um, but the the seven, it's, it's Hulk, a shadow priest, which is the, the gray-skinned Sicarians, another red-skinned Sicarian, LOA, who is a red-skinned Sicarian, Meek, who is a 
Well, the other Hiveling. the other redskin, Captain Levonsky, he was uh, he was of the Imperial Guard, deemed a traitor, sent to the uh, you know to be a gladiator to fight to the death, and then he is Elway's father. No, he's not Elway's father. No, no, no. He's I'm like sorry. a protector or something like that. Right. Man, if you're gonna talk, get it right. Okay, that the robot survives. <sighs> hey, I looked it up and realized I was wrong. So now it goes to day two of the training. Oh, the the um, shadow priest is heroim. 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 Something like that. I was close. So day two of the training is battle one of the movie. It does not take place in the arena. It is Korg against his brothers. It's actually it, it's funny because. The whole thing, after that initial battle where, like, the seven people survive, like, the battle royale, the first scene of the movie after Hulk's captured is what we get. It's them in the cell chatting and the Hulk just kind of chilling by himself, not wanting to deal with any of them. Right. And then the next thing, like you said, is the is that first battle in the arena from the movie. Right. Where he's, Korg has to battle his mind-controlled brothers. I love how it, this is completely aside from that. I love how the Hulk just randomly like gets like different armor throughout it. Yeah. Like if you look a, a little bit further into um into the fighting with like Korg and everything, after that battle is over and they pretty much the Hulk and Korg just tear everything apart because they're they're the muscle of the group. Right. The Hulk has has a huge battle axe and like a Trojan War helmet and armor just on one arm, which I don't understand. Parad. Parad shoulder. The one, that's what, he was a famous person. No, no, I don't, that's about the shoulder. I mean, he literally has plate male arm. Yeah, I know, but it's just that the hurrah, it's what made famous the one, the asymmetrical armor. But that, that's not a big deal, because I mean, that, that is Mm -hmm. kind of classic thing, but if you, like, the the Colossus arm he has going on, the dude regenerates from anything. Yeah. Come on. Yep. (laughs) So, another part completely skipped next is the, uh, the Wildabots. Yes, they are in the movie, but basically the Imperial Guard cannot destroy the Wildabots in the wilderness. And they're like, all right, well, just send the new gladiators off to fight them. Yeah, because really, the, the, in the movie, everything is kind of these gladiatorial fights. It's all in the arena. In the book, though, it's more of a... They're slave labor, essentially. It's... Yep. Well, we want them to die because the Hulk is just a little too strong for his own good. But we have all these problems, so let's just send them at these problems and see how they deal with it. You know, if they die, they die. Either way, you know, if they die, awesome. If they take care of this problem, awesome. If they can die and take care of the problem, even, even better. better. Yeah. So, after destroying the Wilderbots, they get this outlandish party with hookers and food and all this kind of stuff which obviously was left out of the movie Cobb and I previously discussed that is possibly some of the things left out of the movie are be- to, to maintain that I don't know if the movie is PG but to maintain that whole mindset that this could be for kids because there's this whole uh, misconception that comic books are for kids but generally like an animated movie regardless of what it's what like the actual it doesn't even need to be, be animated look at the Watchmen how many people complained about when they took their kids to see Watchmen because they didn't realize that it was rated R for excessive nudity and violence and language and yeah that is true but you know when you see a cartoon movie like that you kind of tend to just assume that it's it's based on something that would be okay for kids to watch right because it's not like it's um which in reality it's it's really the backwards I don't know if this is just Netflix or not um, but the Netflix DV or the Netflix streaming option for it, it has it listed as not rated. So it's kind of the opposite if you think about it. The animated versions, not uh, not so much the DC movies I've noticed, but the animated version of the Marvel movies are a little more adult oriented. But then the live action films are more dumbed down so that any age can watch it. I wouldn't necessarily call them adult-oriented as much as they're made in a way where an older viewer is going to enjoy it just as much as a younger viewer. Yeah. Because, like, the older viewer is going to actually get, like, the story and everything, and the, and they're going to enjoy it like that. Whereas, like, the, the younger kids, like, you know, like, 8 to 12-year-olds, they're going to look at me like, oh, it's awesome, the Hulk is smashing these bad guys up. You don't have all of, like, the kind of the grittier 
dangerous stuff like the slavery and the big feast with hookers and blow and all that fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the story. At this outlandish party that was left out of the movie, there is an attack by the Imperial elite, which I'm not sure what they're... The Death Heads, the Imperial Death Heads, they're the ones that later you'll see burn the spikes and whatnot. They're, you know, they're the ones that call that are called in when shit goes to hell, which I kind of got the feeling that in the movie they were like cyborg or androids, but in the book, they seemed more living. I don't know if that was purpose or you know a way to explain the alternate ending that happened for the movie over the book. Wait, I think you're getting things mixed up. Um, what do you mean? At the there's the big feast and they're eating and everything like that. And then at the end, the last thing is that the dudes bust through the door and they go, "Green Scar, we are the Sakar." democratic insurgents we fight for the outcast the slaves the discarded and despised we fight for you will you fight for us and that's where the thing ends and then the death head guards come in that's the next issue i guess huh yeah okay i I was still in the previous one oh so yeah they come in to yeah to get those rebels i guess i mean they're definitely cyborgs or something like that because i mean like like just their their text is enemy colon down enemy colon down enemy colon down enemy targeted all right i'll I'll take that and then we go a while before you get past that i i like the fact that you kind of get it in the movie like the hulk doesn't care he does what he has to do but in the book he's even harsher so you you figure hulk that was on earth he wasn't really a good guy, but, you know, if, if he saw something wrong and somebody was definitely being taken, like, down and they shouldn't be, he would intervene. He helped people almost as much like as he the destroyed stuff. like raped at the, uh, the party. Yeah. In this, these guys that just broke in here trying to get his help to, you know, free their planet are getting murdered by these robots. The other slaves that are with the Hulk are trying to get hit, trying to help them. LOA actually says we have to help them. Hulk responds, do what you want. I'm going to finish my dinner. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't give a rat's ass. He's been betrayed by everyone that he's ever even remotely trusted time and time again. He was just sent to a world that's... He doesn't realize that there was a problem with the ship getting sent. Sure, they said that it was a peaceful planet full of vegetation and game and stuff like that for him. But when when his ship crashed and he got out, he was on this barren desolate dangerous world full of people ready to kill him as far as he knows reed richards and all of those guys screwed him big time and lied to him yet again as the story continues we get to another arena battle finally because as far as the book's concerned they had the first arena battle against the giant monster and then it's all training they don't get back to the arena until was this the end of uh, issue three? The middle of issue three? And that's against Deathhead Guards. Because, again, you have to remember that the Red King doesn't want the Hulk to win. He wants the Hulk to die. So he's sending whatever he can. And really, for them, the Deathhead Guards are the... They're the elite. Assassins, yeah. basically. They're, they're, mind, well, they're mindless drones, essentially, that you know they get told what to target and they annihilate it. The problem is, you can't annihilate the Hulk. <laughs> So this is where we finally merge back in, and the the story kind of lines up here. But there's the meeting between Hulk and Ciara, too. Yeah, that was before the arena battle. She actually tries to bribe him, which I don't think it has anything... That, I don't think the Emperor was in on it at all. But she actually offers to just take him to pretty much the outlands of their planet and leave him there to fend for himself. He doesn't take it because he's sick of trusting people. And he'd heard that story before. Yeah. Which he actually says, I heard that one before, no thanks. Yeah, so he just keeps going with the arena, because frankly, if anything else, he knows he's not going to fail in the arena. If there's one thing the Hulk can do, he can kill things. So, we get to the part of the movie where they're all sitting in the cave, victorious, and they decide to become warbound. Well, not even to become warbound at this point, but to just tell each other their stories starting with our favorite character left from the film was the brood queen talking about her brood planet then it goes on to korg with his battle with thor which 
I have to admit, I mean, at first it's fairly close to what happens in the movie, but there's no aid. Thor just fights them off on his own right. I, I'm honestly not sure if this is, like, legit. I didn't do any research for it. I don't know if this is legit, like, a Thor book. The art style in it is super old, so I feel like it could have been something from, you know, a 1960s, 1970s Thor issue where these random rock aliens showed up. Or they did a really good job at just making it look that way. Yeah, and then, well, I mean, odds are that there's a good chance that they redrew this. Yeah, but it's like, based on something. I feel like I remember reading somewhere that this was based on a real something. You just, Beta Ray Bill isn't there. In the movie, he's the one, he comes and he helps Thor out, and then he follows these creatures in the space and everything. Right. That's not how this goes at all. <laughs> So then Hulk gives his story about the humans. Wait, before you hit that, really, I just like that Korg's line about it. Like, after Korg was a villain, basically, which you, you get that in the movie, too. He, his species, just like the Brood Queen, they decimate worlds. Korg tried to decimate Earth before he end up, ended up on this planet, just like the Hulk did. And in his mind, he thought all this time that Thor was it. Thor was the protector of the Earth. And if they could have just gotten around him, they would have been fine. And then, like, when the Hulk starts telling his story, he's like, no, you're wrong. There's all kinds of dudes that would just wreck your day. And and the worst one of all is Banner. And he, you know, so he, he explains that there's these superheroes on Earth and that he tried to kill the Hulk, but it just made him stronger and stronger and stronger. And, um... Which is kind of disappointing because even the Brood Queen got two pages and the like. Korg story got two pages. There's one page layout about the Hulk. Very interestingly drawn. It seems like multiple eras. I mean, the the one thing is though, if you're reading a Hulk book, you should kind of know the background to the yeah. character already. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, really, what are they going to tell you that you don't already know about the character you're reading the book for? This is just he's giving his own kind of synopsis of the planet he's from without giving too much information about him because he none of them realize that he is actually this feeble human that just you know rages out and becomes this incredible rage monster then you know meek basically explains that his life beforehand was pointless and that he his really wanted to tell his story his life now which in the it's actually i think it's even more prevalent in the movie than it is in the book yeah but then um, Heroin just steps up and says, that, you know, I've heard enough. Like, let us warbound. And, and that's it, – it's over um, – what was the red dude's name? Pre. It's over him because he dies. Ski. Levinsky. Yeah, he, he dies in, in the previous battle. Um, he's actually in like – he's all wrapped up in shit and dead. And I think at this point, Liara is – or Liara. Hell way. Yeah. There's not even a Liara in this, is there? I don't think so. Where the hell did I get that name from? I have no idea. Yeah, I have no clue. All right, um, so Elway LA is, isn't even here. She escaped when the people showed she up. She escaped with the rebels when yeah, they... Yeah, before the, yeah. the Death's Head guards showed up after the party. Um, so she's actually, like, escaped right now. So even though she she plays a prominent role later on, she's not part of the, the whole warbound pact right. that they make. One of the biggest changes now is right here, where... If you read anything on the internet, people are fucking rage monsters themselves about this. They show that that the the big opponent for for the Warbound as they are now in the arena next is going to be this other character, the Silver Savage. Which, if you're clever, you realize that's the Silver Surfer. In the movie, it's Beta Ray Bill, who is um he's he's a weird alien Thor side character. That if if you don't know who Beta Ray Bill is, pretty much he's a character. That has the powers of Thor. Well, what happens is he stumbles upon Mjolnir, and he picks it up, and Mjolnir recognizes him as worthy of Thor's power. So Odin sees this, and instead of just stripping him of the power and giving it back to his son, he's like, well, let's make a game out of this. I'll give you both Thor's power, and you fight each other, and whoever wins gets to be Thor. S.H.I.E.L.D. detects a ship, and Thor goes to check it out. Right. Um... Thor confronts the ship and throws his hammer. Right. Um, and somehow in that whole thing, he, he like, it, it leaves... I'm, I'm reading it right now, actually. 
Beta Ray Bill is in like a, a suspended animation. So he somehow manages to Mjolnir kind of gets separated from Thor. And this is the point where I, I think it's still in effect, actually. If Thor is separated from Mjolnir, he becomes enough, the he reverts the back cripple. to Donald Blake. Yeah. Mjolnir gets turned into his cane. So when he converts to Donald Blake, Beta Ray Bill knocks out Blake and then picks up the cane and hits it, turns into Mjolnir, and he gains the powers of Thor. Yeah, I didn't say that he he I didn't say that he found it by accident. I just said that he got a hold of it. I was giving the quick rundown of the story, and you just went into a whole big tangent of researching in silence. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but the, the way that you described it, it sounded like he just happened to find Mjolnir, which, I mean, that's not the case. And yeah, he, he has the, the power, and Odin, like you said, get, says, okay, you two battle for it. And Beta Ray Bill and, wins. Yeah, he wins. So but rather, he refuses to kill Thor. And but and rather than letting him keep Mjolnir... Give him a storebreaker. Yeah, he, Odin forges him his own hammer with the powers of Thor. Um, that's why whenever you see Beta Ray Bill, he looks like Thor. He's got the helmet and the cape and everything. And in the movie, he chases Korg's group off of Earth. He helps Thor out and all. And then he gets trapped in the wormhole and sent. Yeah, and he gets trapped there in the book, back to that. Um, it's Silver Surfer, but that whole stuff with helping thor never happened yeah he just happened to get trapped in this world and just like we actually completely forgot this at the beginning the wormhole weakens weakens things so even the hulk the reason he got taken down when he landed was because he was weakened he wasn't hulk at full power same thing happened to silver surfer he had almost none of his cosmic power when he crashed on this planet so they were able to get one of these obedience discs on him and put him into slavery like the Hulk. The big problem is with the change, which it's most likely due to like the whole licensing crap where Fox owns the rights to Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four characters, which Silver Surfer was in the second Fantastic Four movie, so that falls in under that realm. So Marvel can't put Silver Surfer in any of their, their films. So they had to replace him with something else. You can really only play, replace him with another cosmic-based character. Outside of, like, Nova or, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy characters, Beta Ray Bill makes the most sense. And he at least fits into everything a little bit better than, like, having, like, Rocket Raccoon be the one there. Why would he be out by himself and trapped on this planet? The worst part about it is Silver Surfer actually has an established relationship with the Hulk prior to this. They were both on the Defenders together at various points. They might not be what you'd consider friends, but as far as the Hulk's friends go, he Silver Surfer was one of them. They had no animosities towards each other. Beta Ray Bill is just kind of a dude. Hulk's heard of him. He's heard of the Hulk, but there's no... It's not like they ever teamed up to take down Thanos or some bullshit. So, I mean, that that's kind of a shame that they had to, they had to go in and change that and make it not be Silver Surfer. So then they even give a little bit of a backstory to Silver Surfer on the next issue. Um, Exile Part 4, issue 95. Uh, just about how, basically, he made a deal with Galactus that if he left his planet alone, that he would go before Galactus and prepare the planets and things. Which is, I mean, that's the standard Silver Surfer backstory. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that they do go into a little bit more is how he ended up on the planet. You know, he kind of similar to the Hulk, he ended up falling through, like, the wormhole and crashed on the planet and lost most of his powers. So when he finally came to, he had been implanted with one of those obedience discs and the death's heads guards got a hold of him and all and ever since then they've been forcing him to fight to the death in these arenas i don't think he has his board though at all i i don't know where it is oh no i'm sorry if i if i would have went a little further i would have seen that when he enters the arena his shield is his surfboard ah okay so this is one of the first times and i believe that they actually show it a little bit earlier in the movie but they talk about it more in the book is the blade of grass the plant that grows from the blood of the hulk which i mean in the book in the movie they go they do talk about it that his it is prophesized that the blood of the sakar sun will regrow the forests and rebuild the earth or the planet and they go into that great lengths in the book and they don't go to it in the movie as much so 
they come out, everyone cheers, but out comes the Silver Savage. Big fight, Hulk and Silver Surfer. I, I like the the actual confrontation there, like like the Hulk actually goes, Surfer, is that you? And you can tell like the Surfer is they must actually have his um obedience disc constantly shocking him because he fights it so hard. Mm-hmm. You can just see looking at the at the text for him, like he has trouble getting the words out. You know, Hulk asked him and he's like, Yeah, that's me and Hulk actually does call him They both refer to each other as friends. The Hulk could have easily used something else as the word. Um you're supposed to infer that's what he was gonna say because they do the um Yeah. The dash 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 thing. Right. Which is supposed to lead to another text bubble in comic scripting. Um but it, it does the dash 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 and then the next thing is Surfer for saying friend. friend. So I mean the Hulk could have just gone, you know, he's my acquaintance or at this point the Hulk doesn't ever think he has friends. So whether the Hulk would have used the word friend or not is, you know, yeah. debatable. But regardless of that, they ha- and it, it sucks because the surfer says friend and then immediately he attacks all of them. But, I mean, he's being controlled to do it. It's not like it's yeah. him. And I think he's constantly asking yeah, for forgiveness. He's actually like apologizing and all that stuff because he doesn't want to be attacking them. It takes the Hulk kind of losing control in order to to stop him. I mean, the Hulk, the Hulk wrecks him. He elbows the, or he shoulders the, uh, the obedience disc with that shoulder plate that he has, and it shatters it. And then, then he goes into the horrific Hulk rage where he's just beating in the face. Which, it doesn't last, I mean, it lasts a little while, but I actually... It's one page. I think the movie, I mean, a little while. The movie goes a little far. It's several panels. Yeah. The movie just has it to the point where he's literally just pounding Beta Ray Bill in the face. And, like, you see Beta Ray Bill's face, which is already kind of screwed up looking, is just a bloody, pulpy mess. Whereas Silver Surfer gets up, and he's fine. In one panel, right after Korg stops the Hulk from attacking, you see that one panel on the, on the page right after he stops him, where he's in the ground, and you can tell he's kind of messed up, just the angle all his body pieces are at. Right. Body parts. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I think that's that's also when I think, like, the Red King and everything realized that the Hulk is a lot worse than yes. they realized. So then Silver Surfer's on the ground. Everyone is kind of standing there victorious. The crowd is silent because they're horrified at what they've just seen, just like the film. But then, you know, I can't tell if it's the Red King or one of his one of his guards, but he activates the obedience discs and everyone starts convulsing. Oh, that's it's one of the guards. The Red King is in. Yeah. In, but then the all of a sudden, Silver Hand in the air, power cosmic flows and all the obedience discs in the arena just pop and the silver surfer has let them free and he actually he says no no more slaves so and that's that the same thing does happen in the movie it's just beta ray bill does it but it goes a little further with the book where they all escape together they stampede out of there in the book it's literally like they get freed and then beta ray bill's like hulk do you want to go home and hulk goes i have no home and beta ray bill goes all right cool throws the hammer and takes off in the space this surfer doesn't leave until after they after all the slaves have escaped they're in like the forest and that's when they have that like their talk and you see that they are actually friends like the hulk knows that out of anybody the silver surfer had nothing to do with him being yeah sent away so they, they actually part on really good terms and surfers like all right dude if you don't want to come back to earth so be it. Good luck. And that's where Silver Surfer's done. He's not there anymore. But the, the big thing at the end here is you see that one little plant early on that you pointed out. Mm-hmm. At the end of this, because of all the bloodshed that the Hulk had, um, there's a lot of them sprouting up. Yeah. Very last page of Exile. One of the red skins are on the ground. Just the, his face is, you, you can't describe it as anything other than hopeful. Like he, he's happy. He do, like he he just realizes what this means, and it's just all of the plants that are on what he's holding part of it in his hand. He's like cradling this. it. This is this is amazing. And that brings us to the end of the Exile arc, which is roughly halfway into the Planet Hulk books. Yeah, we didn't mention this before. So again, if 
if it's something you want to read, you can actually just buy the, the trade of it. You can get it on Comixology for like $25, or if you want the paperback, you can actually go to the store and find out however much that is. Um, but the issues, it's issues 92 through 95 is that first Exile arc. I mean, that kind of shows where how it all starts. Most, I think more than half of the movie actually runs through that bit of the the story. Yeah. There's not as much. There's actually a lot more in the book that takes place outside of the arenas than there are than there is in the movie. Well, if you think about it, like we said, the um, the Fantastic Four stuff, the Illuminati stuff, the Hulk stuff. So that's that's eight issues completely left out. Then, if you add up all the stuff left out, it's probably another three or four issues left out. And then there's another like two issues at the end completely left out that deal with the spikes and their elders. Yeah, that's true, but I, I wasn't even so much talking about that. I just meant you figure in actual Planet Hulk, it starts in issue ninety two and it runs through issue one hundred and five. We just did the first like story arc, which was Exile. That's ninety two through ninety five. That is three quarters of the movie. Yeah, that's I mean the biggest chunk and of it probably. That's only what four. That's four out of the 14 issues of the the actual story itself. So, I mean, there, there's way more goes on outside of this whole arena thing than yeah. ever happens in the movie. Like, we really only get bits and pieces of it. We get a little bit of, like, the fight that'll happen between um, Hulk and Ciara. You get that weird thing where Meek finds his brothers under the ground or whatever the hell that was. Oh, he finds the brothers under the ground in... Um in the movie just not to the extent that's what I mean. of like, the like, book you, you yeah. get both of them in both yeah. things yeah but it, there's just so much more in the book mm. that really like i would have cut out some of the stuff they kept in the movie and focused more on some of that because that's really where the story's at um but hey we don't work for marvel entertainment so that's the end of part one of our planet hulk discussion and uh you know, we'll be doing part two to continue the uh, anarchy, uh, starting with anarchy. Actually, I think we'll probably start with the giant size, um, which is three stories, one of which has to do with Planet Hulk. But yeah, <laughs> it's in there, so we're going to talk about it. Giant size are pretty much like annuals. Sometimes they count, sometimes they don't. This one, a third of it kind of does. For the most part, the giant size is all just what-if stories, which um, next time we will actually talk about some of the what ifs also because they're kind of neat if you don't know about them because they're not really included in any of the um the collections of planet hulk um after that though we're probably going to be doing watchmen so that'll be 13 hours because that movie was excruciatingly long um (laughs) and we'll be doing the director's cut so i can't wait this means i actually have to read the watchmen which people are kind of be probably going to be angry at me for saying that but yeah i've never read it um i saw the movie and the movie was super fucking boring and i just i've never had a desire to actually get in and read the book and it's funny because i I bought the trade with the intent on reading it after i saw the movie because i kind of like that i always enjoyed seeing a movie first and then reading the story it's based on because a lot of people complain after they read the book first or whatever because it's like, oh, well, they changed all yeah. this stuff and it's different. I'm like, well, I get to see what all this stuff looks like to somebody else's eyes. And then I get to actually like read it and see what really happened. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I bought the uh, I bought the trade after, after I watched the movie. Hopefully it goes a little bit smoother than the movie did. I thought the movie was just... We, we may end up doing that one in two parts as well. No, uh, no we're doing the whole 14 hours up front. No, we'll do them... We're going to live stream it. We'll do them the same day, but just so that Cobb doesn't have to deal with it for more than one day. We'll do it in the same day, but we'll release those two episodes. It, it is a three and a half hour long director's cut. And changing one specific point, plot point of the movie, which I won't talk about for spoiler reasons, and because it really should be part of the discussion of the movie, um, they effectively take out about two chapters of a 12 chapter book. Well, so it shortens the length. All the giant blue penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that being said, um, episode one, Planet Hulk, um, ad nauseum. That's not what happened. And we'll see you next time. I'm Vogel. And I'm Chris. See you next time, guys.